So we're in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Um, I grew up hearing a saying, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Never really put much thought to what that actually meant. Um, basically my whole life until I connected it with these passages. It was a reminder to uh, probably, I guess, southern people. Maybe that's a colloquialism that is more national than I think it might be. Maybe not. Maybe it's just southern thing. Yep, I'm getting a lot of blank stares. So anyway, uh, the gist of it means I'm going to do whatever it is if the Lord wills it because tomorrow's out of my control. But like a lot of these sayings, they become cliche because they become overused and then their meaning is lost. And sadly, Scripture can be the same way. So what my hope is today is as we uh, walk through James 4, 13 through 17, um, not only uh, will we discover the truth of what James is connecting here, it will bring um, reignited fervor and meaning and, and depth to that saying, Lord willing. So, James is addressing in our scripture today the tendency uh, for us to tell God our plans and then chase them down as if they're given. We all do it. Um, we all have things we've got to plan for. Benjamin Franklin uh, said it very well that if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And that is the truth for most things. You, you can't just wing it. Um, there's room for improvisation in a lot of things, but even improvisation is based upon rudimentary fundamentals of whatever it is you're doing. You have to master um, music before you can improvise in music. You have to master some kind of talent before you can improvise in that talent. You have to be a master of building before you can just throw together a doghouse. So we have to plan. Um, it's good wisdom to plan. Sometimes it's a necessity, and even our, our weekly uh, dealings in our household, food's important, I don't know about your household. And Rachel, I'm blessed with a wife that is a great planner, because I am not a great planner. Um, and we... Uh, now plan our meals out. She'll ask, what do you want for dinner on this week? Uh, this day, we have this. Here's the sales. The BOGOs are over here. Audi has this for cheaper. I don't know. If it were up to me, I'd roll up into Publix on an empty stomach and buy a bunch of stuff we don't need and spend way too much money. Because I don't want to plan for that type of thing. But planning is essential in that area to stay under budget, to eat healthily, um, and to not starve to death because I lead only bought spam. And I know using a grocery shopping excursion is a bit of extreme example, um, but in our culture, we tend to think um, like everything's this, this success equation. We need this, so I'm going to plan and work, and that'll give me that, whatever it is. For example, I need to do well on a test. Therefore, I'm going to plan to study and I'm going to get a grade on that test. And that usually works if you study well and you plan correctly, study the right thing. But what happens is we do this over and over and over again and we tend to begin to assume 
that if the planning is done and the work is done, that the, the outcome will always be what we want it to be because we are masters and commanders of our future. And James is not so gently reminding us today that that is not always the case. So, we need to understand that planning is necessary. Planning can be rewarding as we succeed in the things we plan to do. So let's take a deeper look at what James is getting at here. As he's done throughout his letter, James is not only addressing our actions, which he does very well, by the way, but he's going deeper. He's going to the root, the why of our actions. Why do we do the things we do, the motives, if you will, behind every action. So he uses the illustration of planning to eliminate the human tendency to elevate good things, or to, sorry, to illuminate, not eliminate, that'd be great, to illuminate our tendency to elevate the good things in our life to ultimate things. Or we've said it uh, before in here, we take the throne of our heart and we put whatever it may be that we are chasing down upon that throne. We tend to chase it and chase it and chase it. But then when our plans don't work out, we're destroyed because that thing sitting on the throne of our heart has no power. The Scottish poet Robert Burns said it very well, the best made plans of mice and men often go awry. We can plan and plan and plan, but one day there's just bad luck. One day things just don't work out. So when I, I want to start by asking a few questions. We're going to walk through these three questions. What are you chasing? What is it that your plans point toward? That thing or that person or that um, accomplishment. I'm planning my entire life around this. Then we logically get to the next question. Why are you chasing it? A lot of the things we chase are good. Some of the things we chase aren't. I chase donuts. Those aren't good for you. But a lot of things we chase are good. But why? Ultimately, we need to look beyond the veneer that we show everybody deeper, to a deeper reason why we chase anything. And my last question, I want to land with an exclamation point as all of the songs he led us in today, highlighted in some way or the other, do our plans, does the thing we chase align with what God is chasing? So we're going to talk about what is God chasing? How do we fit into the story of God? How is God using our story cohesively for his purposes? So I'm going to read our scripture and pray and then get to it. So in James 4, verses 13 through 17, it says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boasting is arrogance. 
All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray today. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom you provide in your word. We ask you to send your spirit and soften hearts, open minds, whatever it is that sticks in our thoughts, whether it is a challenge or an encouragement, I pray that we deal with it rightly. Lord, and as we walk through the truth that James is laying out, I pray that we would be open to hearing correction, but also encouraged by James cheering on our pursuit of what you have for us. So Lord, if there's anyone sitting in here today that is um, needing a, a good word, I pray that this would be it. If there's anyone in here needing correction, as I do often, I pray that you gently lead them there. And we thank you for the provision of this time and this word that we could make much of you and little of ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First point, what are you chasing? James illustrates this tendency in all of us with some traders who are chasing financial success. It says, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry out business, and make a profit. These entrepreneurs had a business plan. It was pretty simple. They had a timeline, target audience, they had a place, and they had a goal. They had filled out their success equation, and they were going to put it to plan. That doesn't sound too bad. Matter of fact, if you're in a business, you should probably know all of those things and be enacting that plan. They were chasing a successful and profitable business. And to be fair, that is not bad. James says in, in chapter 1, verse 17, that good things, the good things we get in life, are gifts from God in heaven. Successful business is a good thing. So what are you chasing in life? It may not be business. The answer depends on what season of life you're in, probably. So if you're a student... Probably chasing success, good grades, a path, a career. Um, you're probably chasing friendships, which leads to relationships. If you're single, you're probably chasing that one. Maybe you're chasing the confidence to, to actively be single in a culture that isn't always as friendly to single people as it should be. Maybe it's making ends meet on one salary in a world that's getting more and more expensive. If you're a parent, you're chasing small children if they're four feet and under, driving them to practices, rehearsals, chasing that clock, trying to be at least five minutes late. Right? Saw some parents shake their, nod their head. They feel me on that one. Providing for your family, homework, Oh yeah, and having a little bit of time for yourself. If you're empty nester, getting used to that silence in your house once again, dating your spouse once again, figuring out what to do with all that free time. If you're retired, might be chasing security, comfort, chasing down that adventure that you've put off for so long and now you have time and resources to do. 
Notice that all the things that I've listed are good things. The things that you should plan for. The things that um, aren't inherently evil to chase down. But as you chase these things, all of us realize as we get close to attaining them or when we do attain them, we notice something every single time. It just doesn't give us what we thought it would give us. It doesn't feel like we thought it might feel. I liken it to when, I, when we get our, our boys' presents for their birthdays or Christmas, or the random time that, that they, you know, break us down in whatever store we're in and we buy that dollar Hot Wheels. They're so excited to open it, and then it's almost like immediately they open it and they're over it. And then they play with the box for four hours. We feel that, right? That new car. It's exciting. Well, I hate car shopping. It might be exciting to you. You're going around the car lots, looking at cars, picking colors, smelling that new carcinogen-filled smell. And then you get it, and you drive it for a week. Maybe it gets it first scratch or dent, Publix parking lot. You're over it. It's not new anymore. You're like, ah, oh, I got to get wheels now, or whatever it is you do. You can apply that to anything. We get to a point where we're so excited about the chase that when we achieve the thing, it pales in comparison to the excitement that we felt leading up to that point. Why is that? Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that here in a second. But I need to ask the question first. I need you to c- capture in your mind what it is that you're chasing. Might be a few things, but you could probably boil down, reduce all of those things to kind of an overarching um, part of life. Get that in your mind. Think about it. Because we're going to ask next why you're chasing those things or that thing or that person. So our next point is why are you chasing whatever it is? And why is a very important question I'm learning. It's a gateway to understanding, understanding that usually is the first question that little humans learn to ask. Why? I don't know. Go ask your mom. Right? So asking the question why enables us to dig deeper, to gain a better understanding. Why is not a bad question unless it's asked the wrong way. So we want to ask why in a few different ways. The first way, why do we chase things at all? Why do humans have the tendency to want to plan for things and gain things and do things and achieve things? Why? Every single one of us has it from birth. Watch a child strive to learn to crawl. It's the only thing they're fixated on. Then they learn to do that and they're not satisfied, so they try to learn to walk and then run and then climb and then jump from their bed as if they are a superhero, not realizing they're going to kill themselves. And it continues. Well, the short answer is God gave humans a job and a purpose when he created us. In Genesis 1, the creation account tells us God created humanity 
in His image specifically. We're the only animals of the kingdom created in God's image. And He did this on purpose. He gave us His image because our role was to be image bearers and representatives that rule, that's our job, to rule creation. We were supposed to take creation and we were supposed to care for it and build it into civilization. So Adam and Eve weren't meant to spend eternity in the garden. They were meant to care for the garden, have children, be fruitful, multiply, that, that fun gift that we get, and then go beyond the garden and create cities and civilizations and stuff. And in this part of history, in Genesis 1 and 2, before sin enters the world, they did that. And perfection abounded because they did it under God's banner for God's glory. So getting back to James's example of the traders and their plans to make a profit, like I said earlier, it's a good thing for business entrepreneurs to have a plan to make a profit. Otherwise, your business is horrible. You should be striving for that profit. So why is James using them as an example? Are they doing what God created them to do? He blessed them with this entrepreneurship gene, put them in a place and a time where it was feasible to do so? Are they doing God's will? Well, there lies the problem. They weren't concerned with God's kingdom but their own. And we know this, if we look down at verse 16, James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So now we get a little bit of character about these traitors. It says a lot about the type of businessmen James was addressing. Look at how he describes them. They're boastful and arrogant in their schemes. They weren't planning, they were scheming. And the type of scheming James considers evil. He considers them evil for two reasons. They were selfish and they were presumptuous. So the first one. Let me give you some context of these traders in their time in history. Uh, it was very common for entrepreneurs to travel about to the port cities and begin trading uh, begin taking advantage of the boom of, of all of the, the countries coming together in these specific areas. Um, and oftentimes they would go and they would do well and they would make profit. But the traders that James is addressing here would take that profit and they would only use it for their selfish gain. You see, they were a specific, James is speaking to a specific group of entrepreneurs that were supposed to be of God's kingdom and have God's kingdom in mind as they went about their business. But they didn't. They put their kingdom first. Whatever it was on the throne of their heart, it was not God. So James is speaking to that. We have the tendency to do this, right? We take those good things and we begin chasing them with good motives. And then we get so overwhelmingly um, enticed by whatever it is we're chasing. We want it now. We want more. 
that we begin to go a little deeper past the motives we let everyone else see into those ulterior motives, the ones we hide from people, because if, they, if only they knew, if only they knew what was in Eileen's heart as to why he wants to do X, Y, Z. And we chase and we chase and we chase. At the peak of his wealth, John D. Rockefeller owned 90% of oil and gas industry in the world. His personal net worth was 1% of the entire U.S. economy in his day. During this time, he was asked how much money is enough. His answer was, just a little bit more. The God of success sitting on the throne of Rockefeller's heart was never satisfied, possibly being the driving force that led him to that success in the first place, but all the while never letting him be satisfied in the success that he achieved. We all have the tendency to be like Rockefeller. Like Rockefeller, the traders in James' time had motives. And they put aside God's motives for their own. So what are the motives that drive your chase? Be honest with yourself. You're not telling anybody right now. Maybe your spouse if you have one. But think about it. What are the motives? The things of the heart. Our culture loves to say, I'll just follow your heart. Jeremiah reminds us, the heart is deceitful about all things. The heart's going to whisper what we want to hear because it's ours. That doesn't mean that you're always operating with poor motives or operating in selfishness. But what it does mean is we have to guard our hearts against this tendency. So the second reason... James considers the action of these traders evil is their arrogant presumption that they can control tomorrow. See, Proverbs reminds us that we can't boast about tomorrow because we don't know what's going to happen. It's wise to count every day as a blessing because when you walk out that door, nothing's promised. But they were treating tomorrow as if they were in control. They'll fill out the little form. Here's my plan. Set it into motion. In a year, we'll have profit. I bet you a lot of us in January, we're going to have the best 2020 we ever had. We set into some motion, some plans, some freshness, new decade, right? And then March hit, and everything stopped. And just to chase that rabbit for one second, it was probably the best thing that happened to some of us. The stopping, not the COVID, don't get me wrong. But the stopping. I know personally, I had to take a month off. I couldn't do anything. Churches were shut down. Therefore, I had nothing to do. And it was exactly where God needed me to be because he stopped my chase. He booted whatever it was on my heart off the throne. And for a month, all I could do was love on my family. That's exactly what I needed. So, you might ask another why question if you're tracking here. You're like, all right. Well, then what's the point? Why plan? Why chase? 
Why do we got to do this? Or you may go the other direction. Why not take advantage of this short time we have in here, here on earth and just get all I can? And that's exactly where Satan wants you to land, one of those. God's chasing is different from our own because he can control tomorrow. So it is not arrogant for him to chase. He's not presumptuous. He's the king. So then, as we look at verse 15, James reminds us of how we ought to live with our planning. Instead of arrogant, selfish presumption, you should, if the Lord wills, you, oh, sorry, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? That allows for planning. That allows for you to do what you need to do to be successful. But it lands beneath the Lord's will. So let's explore what the Lord's will is. Big picture is building his kingdom, but that encompasses a lot. Genesis 1, God walked with humanity in complete and perfect relationship. Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God anytime they wanted. Have dinner, breakfast, whatever other meals they had at that time with God. Anytime they want. They lived out their purpose perfectly with each other. Perfectly with nature. Everything that happened both improved the world and glorified God. But the plan was interrupted by our pursuit of making our chase more important. And sin enters the world and everything went awry. We began to pursue our own little kingdoms. We began to pursue what we want to pursue and ignore what God has called us to chase. And the result of this rebellion was death and separation. Not just on this planet, but in eternity. So God enacted another plan, his rescue plan. And in this plan, God sent Jesus to earth to chase down humanity and make us gods once again. Jesus chased relationship with God, who empowered him to live life perfectly, free of sin, despite being immersed in temptations, all the temptations we experience. Jesus made God's plan his plan and chased after us by using his entire life to tell the story of God's love for us. What was Jesus' ultimately, ultimate earthly goal? The cross. He planned and strategized every step he took, so he was always moving towards the cross. His death represented the death that every one of us deserve. Because of our sin, his, his lifeless body was buried, just like every one of us will one day be buried. He reminded us how finite this life is. But God had another goal for his son Jesus, to make him the resurrected king creation. The representative for all of us. When we chase the wrong thing, Jesus says, it's okay. Turn back. I got you. I've already won the race. I've already got the goal. Just take it. 
So Jesus shrugged off death, walked out of the grave through the power of God's Holy Spirit, becoming the foundation of God's kingdom and the first step of his plan to reunite his people with himself for all eternity. See, that's what God's chasing. It is his will for us to be prosperous and to be taken care of within his chase. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to live reunited with God once again. And when we turn from our sin to Christ's righteousness, we are included in the kingdom building. And God takes the gifts that he gives from above in our lives, our family, our jobs, our interests, our passions, our school, our empty homes, our homes full of kids, our yards, whatever it is, our money. And they become kingdom-building tools to chase down this restoration of God's garden on earth. So we get to live doing these things as God's chosen ones through our daily lives. So when God sits on the thrones of our hearts, we align our chase with his chase and our businesses become powerful to restore people and places around us as we point to God through them. Our grades become more than earning a degree. They become weapons against the adversary that would say you are not worth it. We, be, we become influencers of culture as we use our art for God's glory. Our love and our gentleness become loud in a world that wants to yell and tear down. As we run the race along with God in this pursuit, this chase of his kingdom, our lives become so meaningful that the thing that we're chasing is God and God alone. Then everything else in life takes care of itself. Our plans become his plans. Our success is only because of him. That means... I mean, this is what I have to remind myself every day. That means when we fail, Christ has purchased that failure so it, it shouldn't destroy you. It can't destroy you. You're covered in his perfection. You can stand up, look at Christ and say, show me the way. Evidently, I don't know. He's like, yeah, come along. I knew you forgot. That's the beauty of joining God's chase. If all we do is chase the things, put them on the throne of our heart, when we fall, we are destroyed along with them because they have no power. So when we chase God in His will, we won't vanish like the morning mist on a warm summer day. Because Jesus, the life-giving, eternally refreshing wellspring, is going before and with us wherever we may go. Through every desert, to every mountaintop, through every valley, 
Jesus is there. If we would take his refreshment, if we would chase after God's kingdom, we would be fulfilled. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you all that you've said today through your word. I pray that you use the words from me to speak to the hearts and minds. You've given us Christ, who is the one that leads the chase, the one that we can follow behind. He promises to never leave nor forsake us, and yet gives us a piece of the action in building the kingdom. I pray that we pick up the tools, whatever it is God has given us, we pick up those tools, we use those tools to show the world the grace and love and kingship of God. Help us to boldly look different. Help us to lovingly speak of you and your truths, no matter what it costs. We pray all of these things in your Son's name and the power of your Spirit. Amen.